Welcome to Raising the Bar. I am Ashley Vargas, and I help lifters feel more confident adding weight to their barbell. All right, Dr. Caitlin Wells, thank you so much for being with me today. How is your day going? It's going well. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited for this. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I know that the listeners are going to get so much value off of um, out of everything that you're going to share with us today. So um, before we dive into the meat of everything, can you share a little bit about your background, both athletic and your professional background? Yeah. So um, we'll start professional because I think that's a little less hectic. So um, ended up going to a small community school to get like my associates. Um, but really I went there to like play softball. And then from there I transferred to like a bigger university, got my bachelor's in exercise movement science. And then from there I went three more years because why not? Why not? Um, (laughs) And then got my doctorate of physical therapy. Uh, and then I worked in the hospital for a little bit throughout clinicals and everything kind of realized that the traditional base model wasn't really what I was into. Um, so actually like right, right after school, I think it was three months where I finally was just like, yeah, no, I'm doing it full send. So nice. And when you say like the, the traditional model, what do you mean by that? Do you feel like it wasn't customized quite enough or like what made you want to go out on your own instead of just working for a specific hospital? Yeah. Good question. Um, so insert tangent one here. Um, (laughs) But I just feel like, like the traditional model is excellent for a lot of people. However, I am super passionate about barbell athletes. So powerlifters and Olympic weightlifters. And I feel like a lot of times traditional healthcare kind of one overlooks the lifter. And, you know, it's like, well, if it hurts, don't do it. And that's like one of my biggest things that you'll probably hear me say a few times. Um, so I don't like that idea. And then two, I saw that in therapy, you know, a lot of people tend to get underdosed, meaning, you know, if they're used to pulling six, 700 pounds off the floor, doing these little glute bridges with no weight, you know, and on a therapy table, isn't going to help them get over their back pain, uh, with 100 pound deadlift. So I kind of saw the flaws in that and, even like the geriatric, so like the older population, you know, they, they also get underdosed. So I had a clinical where I thankfully had, um, they're called CIs, like clinical instructors. I had a guy who just kind of like, let me do whatever. So I had this like 70, 80 year old freaking kettlebell deadlifting and like doing little goblet squats down to a chair. And it was awesome, but it really kind of opened my eyes to, you know, what therapy could actually be. So absolutely. Um, yeah, I think with the, the geriatric population, there's so much hesitancy to actually have them move weight when they're very capable of doing so. And I get a lot of people asking me, like, are you still planning on powerlifting when you're 80? I'm like, gosh, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I hope yeah. I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. But, um, you know, in, in my opinion, movement is medicine. Um, and you know, when, when someone is having knee pain or back pain or whatever, you know, it's, it's very common to tell them, well, don't squat, don't deadlift, don't do these things. It's like, well, squatting is a fundamental movement that you do in your everyday life, whether you have a bar on your back or not. So you wouldn't tell someone don't sit down in a chair because your back's hurting. Right. So like, it doesn't make sense to tell somebody not to squat, not saying don't listen to your doctor, but you know, just a very generalized statement. Like you would find a way to work around those limitations and essentially eliminate those limitations because it's not realistic not to be able to sit down. Yeah. I, uh, I have a similar example that I like to use too. And it's, it's, you know, if somebody who might be overweight, you know, goes to their doctor and is like, doc, you know, I live in a two-story house. My bedroom's on the second floor. I have knee pain going up the stairs, you know, like what's your advice? They're going to send them to PT or they're going to like, say, oh, well, you know, maybe diet and exercise is, you know, what you should do. Right. So they're giving them the solution and it's like a pretty decent solution. But then if you have a lifter come in, it's like, doc, like my knee hurts whenever I have like 500 pounds 
on, you know, on the barbell, I'm squatting, you know, what's your advice? And he's like, well, just don't do it. It's like, why is it okay for you to tell someone who's actually like living a healthy lifestyle and like being active and doing what they can to like, just not do it. But you can tell this other person, oh yeah, like, let's find a way to like work around that. Like, and to not this, this is its own little thing, but a lot of times I find like powerlifters get into powerlifting because like mentally it helps them. Absolutely. Maybe they've went through like a dark time. Maybe they've had some rough stuff come up. And so powerlifting is that outlet. So why would you want to take somebody's outlet away from them? If like, that's, what's helping them function like as a full and whole human, you know? Absolutely. I, last night I was lucky enough to um, be part of a women in powerlifting forum and they were, you know, they were going across the board talking about why they got into powerlifting. And that was a very common theme across the board. Like, you know, there were so many things going on in my life that I couldn't control. This is one thing that I could, um, mm-hmm. you know, I low self-esteem confident, all of those things. And the gym has turned to, into therapy, right. Yeah. And, you know, you make friends and you build a family at the gym and it's very much a part of your life. And mm-hmm. it doesn't mentally, it's not going to take that away. Like, I don't know what I would do if I, I wouldn't be, if I wasn't able to lift every day, oh, um, I would be an asshole. That's what, that's what would happen. <laughs> yeah. It would not be a pleasant person to be around. No. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, a, a bodybuilder on their last week of prep with no carbs and they're just not pleasant to be around. That would be how exactly how I would be. So, um, so tell me, um, a little bit about, the relationship that you have as far as like your business with physical therapy and then also being a strength coach? Like, what is that? Do you do PT for your strength athletes? Do you transition one into the other? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. So honestly, it's kind of a, a blend, like a hybrid. Um, so there are some people that come to me that already have coaches and that's fine. I don't care. I'm not there to talk you out of hanging out with your coach. However, if it's something that they're like having pain with, then it's, you know, okay, how can your coach and I kind of tag team where, you know, if we know 400 pounds on your back is painful on your back, your knees or whatever, even shoulders, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that actually come to me with shoulder pain and we can kind of tie it back to squats. So we just kind of do like the full assessment and see what's going on. And from there, the athlete, the coach and myself kind of come together and form this plan sometimes the coach is like do whatever you need to do I just want them to lift you know sometimes the coach is like super involved like okay what can I program you know like what how do I help you same thing with me it's like okay do you have to squat right now yes or no okay are you going into a meet yes or no and if the answer is no cool we can you know we can do like pin squats or we can do box squats, or we can do some other variation that kind of allows that tissue to calm down and then just build up from there. And so that's one, one approach. I do the strength coaching as well. And so what that looks like, I typically get people who have had injuries, whether they're currently dealing with pain or, you know, they've had pain, it's been tremendous amount of pain and they're nervous to get back to that, which rightfully so. So they like the aspect that, you know, I do bring the PT side of things to the table because they know that if they get in pain, they can kind of feel confident that we're going to be able to get out of it. No problem. Absolutely. And so really, I just kind of blend the two worlds, you know, the strength coaching side, the PT side, and just formulate it into like one program. So that's awesome. And, you know, I think the blended approach is really the way to go. Um, you know, over the years working with so many, you know, different types of clients with different backgrounds and injuries and things like that. Um, not necessarily having a physical therapy background, but you don't do learn a lot through the strength training world. Right. Um, but I do have a resource that I utilize all the time as a physical therapist here, um, in Nashville where I live. Um, and, I refer all of my clients to him. I can text him if I'm like, Hey, I have a client with this issue. I can't quite figure it out. What would you suggest? And I think that that needs to be more commonplace for strength coaches and physical therapists to have that connection and have that relationship. Because at the end of the day, our goal is the same, right. To get the client moving pain-free. 
Um, and so the, I love the fact that you kind of combine those within your own business to give a more well-rounded approach to the whole training process. So that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And kind of piggybacking off what you said, the PT strength coach relationship is definitely underutilized. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the time is traditionally, generally speaking, PTs don't understand strength training and strength trainers, coaches, you know, whatever, don't necessarily always understand the PT side. And so hopefully we get to a point where there are more PTs kind of working to like bridge the gap between traditional PT and strength coaching, because whenever the two can come together, it's like, I don't want this to sound cheesy, but it can be like a super beautiful thing. Like it is so cool and can really just set the athlete up for a lot of success. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just awesome. Absolutely. I have one athlete and her and I were trying to figure out what were, what was going on with her hips for months and trying all different types of things. And it started off with just like a nagging pain when she was squatting and then it turned into a severe pain when she was squatting. And then that, then it just snowballed into couldn't deadlift, couldn't really walk correctly. Um, and you know, we went to we actually went to the session together, (laughs) um, and did the full assessment. The PT gave us, you know, a couple of things, what it could be, and then recommended we go see, or she go see a doctor. Turns out she has hip dysplasia, which is a much bigger issue than what either of us thought it would be. Um, and as a competitive power lifter, not being able to squat or deadlift is very challenging. Um, however, her, her mindset has been very positive still. And we actually are four weeks out, five weeks out, um, from a meet. So she's just gonna be doing bench only. So still have her in the competitive world, but, um, like just having to, if I didn't take her to that physical therapist, which then led to the doctor's appointment, I I would have no idea how to fix that problem. Mm -hmm. Right. So like that partnership in the end ultimately helped her with something that was a lot more serious than what we originally thought it would be. Yeah. And something, it's kind of off, off a little bit, but, you know, you mentioned that she's just doing a bench only meet, you know, but still being in that competitive world. I feel like a lot of people's hang up, and this is just like across the board, everybody as a whole, like people think of things as black and white, you know, it's like, well, if I can't squat bench and dead, I'm not going to go compete, but you have that option to either Mm -hmm. do like a push pull, you can do bench only, You, you know, like there's, so many different things that you can still do to get like that powerlifting, you know, itch scratched, um, if you will. So, yeah. And I see the same thing with rehab too. Like it's not always a black and white, you know, templated thing. It's, it just varies person to person. So. Absolutely. And as a result, honestly, her bench has skyrocketed because we've been putting so much focus on that. So yeah, she's having huge gains there. So not mad about it at all. Yeah. Um, So transitioning kind of a little bit, what, like amongst all the clients that you see, what are some like very common issues that powerlifters face? Like what are some common injuries that you have to deal with? Oh man. Um, I had to pick two, I would say probably shoulder and back. Gotcha. Um, I'll see like knees, I'll see elbows, you know, I'll see hips, but a lot of times I, I would say I typically see the shoulders and the the back for sure. Men and women both. Yeah. that was going to be my next question. If it's consistent amongst male or female, um, now with the, the back issue, um, cause I, I get that one a lot as well. Um, particularly from people who are kind of just starting out in the powerlifting, the strength training world. Um, do you find that it's more so low back or do you find that's lat issues? Yeah. Um, so I would say the most common reports I don't want to call them complaints because that sounds like, you know, they're being sissies because they're not. Um, But reports that I get is low back and it's usually like a QL, you know, like people will be like, oh my gosh, my QL. And sometimes it is QL related, but a lot of times it's, you know, just either kind of an overloaded area or an underloaded yet. They just like had this crazy ramp in volume. Um, I don't see any that's like I don't want to say any, but a lot of times I see more of that overuse, underuse versus like a true, like 
ligament tear or something like that. It's usually just kind of a gradual process into pain versus like, oh yeah, that was a legit injury, you know? Right. Yeah. So do you think a lot of that comes from um, like an improper pre-lift warmup? Um, it could for sure. And I think a lot of times it comes from ego lifting too. You know, it's like, oh, I see that guy down there doing like four plates. So I'm going to throw on five just to, you know, show him who's the bigger guy. Um, I, I could probably do like a two hour episode on ego lifting. <laughs> yes. There you go. Yeah. No, that can be podcast number two for us. There you um, go. <laughs> but yeah, you know, and I kind of said that in kind of a like male context, but females are so guilty of that too. Oh, you know, absolutely. not just a, a dude related thing. So yeah. female powerlifters are just as competitive as the males. So I think they're a little more vicious, but yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, it, it is funny. Like when I'm in the gym and I'm training and, you know, squatting or deadlifting, or whatever next to whatever guy is next to me, um, like he'll look over and he'll kind of see what I'm putting on the bar. And then he'll look at his bar and he'll like, okay, I got to put something else on there. I'm like, oh, I don't think you should do that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. You know, can't let a woman outlift you. Yeah. Um, that was my favorite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> whenever I was powerlifting more because I do Olympic weightlifting now but gotcha. when I would see a dude in the gym I'd be like all right I'm gonna throw a little bit more on just <laughs> just so I can like top him real quick <laughs> <laughs> yep um also on that uh forum that I was on last night um they were saying that as far like just with powerlifting overall as far as like from dots and wilkes are concerned women are actually at the top so based on the coefficient and pound for pound, like women are outlifting men now, which I think is insane, like super exciting. And I'd love to hear it, but, um, yeah, ego lifting can definitely get you into some trouble. <laughs> and obviously like we're both kind of, well, I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for you, but like, I'm guilty of it too. And I, and I know better, but yeah. just because you know better doesn't mean you always do better. You exactly. Know? Exactly. Um, coaches aren't perfect. So yes. we try and practice everything that we preach, but you know, sometimes we uh, make those mistakes as well. Um, so with low back being like a very common issue that you see, um, what is your take on weight belts? Ooh, Ooh. Um, so I think that weight belts are completely used for the wrong thing, if I'm being honest. So um, I, was it you that we were talking about how people just like strap up a weight belt and just kind of like walk yeah. around yeah. or like maybe go do triceps or something stupid? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so weight belts definitely have their time and place for me. I have a rule just for myself, you know, like if somebody wants to do it, whatever, um, for myself, I never use a belt unless I'm getting like 80, 85% and then above. Right. So a lot of times people, my dad was actually one of these people too. And, you know, not to, you know, kind of bash him, but he, he would be like, well, make sure you wear your weight, your weight belt. If you're going to do that. And I'm like, why? Like, it's not going to do, it's not going to protect my back if it's going to, you know, explode. Like people think, you know, right, right. um, so in that sense, I don't think weight belts necessarily protect the spine. The caveat to that though, is whenever you put that weight belt on, if you cinch it down, if you're breathing and bracing correctly, and you're like pushing into the belt, you do get like a little bit more of a support just because your abs and your core have something to brace against. Right. So if you want to get super technical, maybe there's like a slight chance that it can quote unquote, like protect your spine, but more often than not, it's just going to help you brace a little bit more efficiently use those abs, the core, and just like execute the lift, um, that you might not have been able to do if you weren't having like, you know, like 110% of that brace, if that makes sense. Right. Absolutely. No, I completely agree with you. Um, I, I talk about this all the time with weight belts. It's not going to do all the work for you. It's going to support the work that your core should already be trained to do. Right. So I never recommend, especially like if people are newer to lifting to start training with a weight belt, because one, you're going to get reliant on it. And two, if you're not properly bracing your core, the weight belt is just there. Like it's not really doing anything. Like right. you have to be able to support your lower back through 
you know, utilizing the abs. Um, but like you said, the weight belt is really just there to provide something to actually brace against and create a little bit more tension. But, um, I'm, I'm right there with you as far as like, once I get to that kind of 82, 85 range, then I'll start to put it on. Um, but you know, if I'm on a lower volume day and let's say I'm only doing, you know, two reps, like I'm not gonna put it on. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, I just think that people become very reliant on the weight belt, um, and just, you know, equipment in general, really, whether it's wrist wraps or knee sleeves or whatever. Um, I think that people come become a little too reliant on it and don't actually train your body to do what it should be doing. Yep. No, hundred percent. I agree. Yeah. Um, what about like wrist wraps and knee sleeves? What are your take on those? So are you talking about like preventing injuries or just use of in general, just the use of in general? Yeah. So knee sleeves, um, powerlifting sleeves are a little different because they are so thick. Like the ply mm-hmm. is just ridiculous. I have some, they're just like compression sleeves that I like to wear, especially during the winter. Um, I've had a f- couple knee injuries, which kind of goes back into like the personal side of, you know, my journey. But, um, so I really like to use those just cause they feel good. Now, if I had like an actual knee issue, I would not want to like use that bandaid. You know, right. I want to make sure that things are moving the way they're supposed to and make sure that, you know, if I were, if I was going to have pain, I wasn't masking it or putting a bandaid on it. Right. That's the difference is like, are you using it because it feels good to have like, you know, that compression on there? Um, or are you using it to like cover something up? And a lot of times people use it to cover it up with wrist wraps, you know, same thing. Um, I, since I'm doing Olympic lifting and I have a competition, I've never worn like the cloth ones. Mm -hmm. And so I'm using that, like the cloth ones at lower volume or lower intensity right now, just to get used to like lifting in them. But otherwise it would be the same thing as the weight, but like, I don't, I don't use those unless I'm getting up to like an 80, you know, 80 plus kind of thing. And again, you know, I asked my coach, I was like, these are like, they're cloth. Like, what are they going to do? But essentially, like whenever you tighten them down, it's the same thing as like a weight belt. You know, you're just allowing, allowing like those muscles to kind of kick out into that, like that soft brace kind of thing. So now do you think that they are more beneficial for people who already have injuries in those areas? Like a weight belt, for example, if you do have an, a back injury or low back injury, do you think that that is going to provide the extra support or do you think it's irrelevant to the issue. No, I think, I think that kind of goes back to putting a bandaid on something. So if they have, you know, obviously it's a case to case. Of course. Yeah. There's really no blanket statement for any of this, but right. Yeah. But, um, I think if you want to use a weight belt because you've had an injury, my first question is always, why, why do you want to do that? Like, what do you think is going to happen if you don't use that or what's your reasoning for wanting to use it? And if it's like, oh, it's a perfect, you know, protect my back. And it's like, okay, well, we need to like work up. We need to build the strength and not use it as a bandaid and like fix the underlying issue. And then if you want to, just because, you know, you think it's going to help you improve your performance and like more of a sounds argument versus just like, oh, it's going to protect my back, then I'm all for it. Um, there is a caveat to that. And sometimes, you know, if we're going through the rehab process, they're hundred percent fine. You know, they've demonstrated time and time again, that their back is solid, but mentally they're still a little lagging, you know, like they're still nervous. If it gives them that extra little bit of confidence to like walk up under the barbell, then I'm like, okay, because I know that we've put in the work up to that point, you know, however long the rehab's been, if, if I know without a, you know, without a doubt in my mind that, that back is healed up. It feels good and we're fine. And they just want it for like mental peace of mind. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, uh, yeah. Another tangent for another day, but, um, I'm not huge on like cupping and massage guns and stuff, but if, if Michael Phelps, you know, cause he was really big into the cupping. If Michael Phelps wants me to freaking put cups on his back because he thinks it's going to help his performance, then guess what I'm going to do? 
pops on his freaking back. You there, know? You so, yeah. there you go. Um, so you were, you touched on something that I want to dive into a little bit more, but um, the whole, the, there's so much mental recovery that comes with the physical recovery, mm-hmm. right? So like once someone gets injured, there's always this fear that it's going to happen again. So as a coach, like we have to not only coach through the physical, but also coach through the mental. Um, so how do you typically approach that? Um, honestly, I would say if someone's had like a pretty rough injury and it's taken a mental toll on them, the mental side is a lot harder to recover than the physical for sure. So it's almost like a graded exposure kind of thing for me. You know, it's putting them in situations where they feel confident, but it's almost just a little scary. You know, it's like progressive overload for any muscle or any movement. You know, you you don't just jump into a 400 pound squat without really ever training up to that. Right. So it's the same thing with the mental side of things. And I feel like it kind of coincides hand in hand, you know, as we're because I, I use like the progressive overload with my rehabs. So as we're building up the physical, we're also building up the mental and they're like, Oh, like, cool. Like that actually didn't hurt. And, you know, I ask questions that kind of almost leading types of questions where it's like, Hey, how did that feel? And they're like, they have to like take a step back and they're like, Oh yeah, that actually didn't hurt at all. You know, like it felt good. And I, I always feel like when somebody's like forgetting how their back feels or, you know, I'll stick with the back thing. Cause that's what we've been talking about. But when they f- kind of forget to like monitor that, that's usually a pretty good sign that, you know, the mental side of things is also like healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, it takes time and it takes reps under a certain weight. So if somebody got hurt at 315, they're going to be kind of shy of 315. Right. But if you can do 310, you know, for like six sets or whatever, then it's like, okay, next time we're just, we're just going to try it, you know, and we might take a few extra safety precautions. Like if it's on a squat, we might just throw the the arms up a little bit higher or, you know, something. So they have that, that safety net, if you will, um, mentally. Absolutely. And then once they hit it, then it's like, oh, like that didn't hurt. All right, let's try another one. Let's just see what happens, you know, and kind of build them up from there. Just progressive overload. Absolutely. And also just like mentally seeing the weight as well, because most people, when they visualize 315, it's 345s on each side, right? But if you have 310, it's going to be, you know, everything but the extra 45, right? So like just throw the two and a half on each side, you'll never know. <laughs> yeah. Like visually, it just looks different, right? I, uh, you, you might be able to attest to this, but I'll have clients sometimes that if you tell them what the weight is, they freak out, you know, even if they haven't had an injury, they'll just kind of freak out. And it's like, they'll be going over and getting you like some water. And I know, I know that they can hit it. So I'll just like kind of slide it on. And then after the fact, I'll be like, Oh, Hey, did you know that that was, that was that weight? And they're like, no, like, I was like, see, you can do it. It was just a confidence thing. Absolutely. It's the the same thing. Like when I take athletes to meets and I'm given the rest, the numbers and all of that, the third attempt, I never tell them what they're going to hit. Um, it's 99% of the time. It's something they've never touched before. And for any of my lifters that are listening, don't pay attention to this part. Um, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But you know, when you're walking up to the platform, like people are like the athletes are so in their zone. They, they don't really know what's going on around them. They don't hear the the crowd or anything. Like you're just mm-hmm. paying attention to what you need to do and that's it. And then the, the weight is called out in kilos. So then like, it's hard to do the math really quick, right? If you don't know your kilos, like the back of your hand. Um, and so I'm, I usually don't tell them what they're lifting. And then most of the time they're going to get it. Right. Cause I know exactly what they're able to pick up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's the mental barrier of knowing what that number is. As soon as you remove it, then it's easy. <laughs> it's easy. Oh, I intentionally like look like a jerk in the gym. Cause I'll have, you know, so with Olympic lifting, you know, you have all those little small plates where it's like five kilos, two and a half two, you know, whatever. So sometimes I'll just keep throwing those on and not even pay attention. I'll, like I never add up what's on there. Cause I know in kilos, like kind of where I'm at right. and I'm like, 
that that actually happened today. I was like, I'm feeling good. I know that this is getting up there close to like my PR. So I just like added weight and like just di- walked away, didn't even add it up. And then I ended up hitting a PR today. But awesome. I, I know that that wouldn't have happened if I would have like counted it and been like, oh, like this is over, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Just get in your head. Oh, uh, yeah. The clean and jerk or a snatch? Oh, uh, both actually. You hit PRs on both? Yeah. Dang, girl. <laughs> when are you competing? What's that? When are you competing? May 21st. Awesome. Well, yeah. can't wait to uh, look on your social media for you getting that little gold medal. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so would you say that with Olympic lifting, as far as like the type of injuries that you see, does it vary much from Olympic to power? Yeah. So I typically see Olympic lifters have more of the, sh- well, they'll have shoulder, but it'll be a a different type of shoulder injury. Um, that's kind of like what I was saying before we started recording, you know, there's like different variations, different (laughs) shades of injuries, right? Like a back injury isn't the same as like a second back injury or something. Um, and then I see a lot of knee injuries and I, I think in large, it's just because of all the squatting that you have to do with Olympic lifting. So. Absolutely. Um, so what would you, recommend for like a lift and a competitive Olympic lifter as far as like preventative measures to take for some of those common issues like knee and shoulder. Yeah. So for shoulders, check your T-spine, like Mm -hmm. literally cannot stress that enough. Um, most of the time when I have people have pain because of a snatch, you know, in their shoulder, I, first thing I have them do is just work on that T-spine extension. So Mm -hmm. that mid, mid back extension. And then for knees, I really, it sounds counterintuitive, um, kind of like the shoulders, but I like to look at the hips and see what's going on there. Because if one hip's moving different than the other, chances are that hip or that knee could also be the one that's affected on that same side. Um, and so I like to look at that and just see any differences and, and things like that. And, you know, sometimes with Olympic lifters, you have the patellar tendonitis. So that tendon is just like super inflamed. And the way I work around that is just by loading it. So we get some isolated and direct loading to the patellar tendon, the quads, and, you know, we're usually pretty good to go. Um, I will say in addition to the knees, always check your ankles too, because Mm -hmm. a lot of times people use lifters and they think that they can compensate for poor ankle mobility, but it still puts your knee in like a compromised position and causes pain. So. Absolutely. I mean, it kind of goes back to the conversation about the weight belt. Like if you're not moving properly to begin with, it's not going to, there's not going to be any benefit to it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's, I mean, mobility work to just statically stretch is one thing. I'm not a fan of just static stretching. However, if you're going to do mobility work for your range of motion, you know, load that crap up because otherwise you know, whenever you get into a lift, if you're at that end range of motion and you haven't properly loaded it before, that's when pain can occur. So by doing the mobility work and stuff, you know, with, with a quick warm up, or just going through like the empty barbell and like actually getting directed loading there, it can actually save you like a ton of time down the road with injuries and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I see a lot of people do static stretching before they lift. Um, can you kind of go into a little bit of details to why you don't recommend that? Yeah. So uh, for me, um, I just don't like it because it's not functional in my opinion, you know, like you're with mobility work, you're still lengthening the tissues, but you're loading them at the same time. Whereas if you just stretch, stretch and stretch, you know, you're almost in some degree, like weakening that area. I see a lot of people that will feel tightness in their back or their shoulders or whatever. So guess what they do? They just sit there and just crank on it and they just stretch and stretch and stretch. And six months down the road, nothing's changed. Their pain's still the same, maybe even worse. And a lot of times the body is just like telling you that it's tight because it wants some input. So whenever you stretch, you're actually making it worse. So I kind of already have like that, um, bias towards stretching because of that anyway, but I mean, mobility is one of those things where it's like, you can just get 
more bang for your buck kind of thing um, versus just static stretching because you're not really going to move in a position like with squat, bench, dead, any Olympic lifts. Like you're not stretching during that, but you're going to work in end ranges of motion where you need to make sure that you're nice and strong there instead of like super stretched out. Absolutely. Um, and about how long should lifters be like doing some type of pre-lift mobility work prior to actually starting their workout? Yeah. So it kind of depends. Um, my lifters who have come to me for injury and stuff, once we figure out like what's going on, you know, based on an assessment or whatever, then it could literally take like five minutes and then they go into like their warm up sets and stuff. Um, for, let's see, I have a lifter. She's a power lifter. She hurt her hamstring. So, um, not doing powerlifting things. She was doing yoga. Um, so what we were doing was like hamstring sets and she had some pinching in her hip. So we started doing like banded mobility. Um, I noticed that her foot spun on squats. And so we started working more ankles and stuff like that. And so we just, I just really like break down, you know, the components of things that she'll need in the squat, make those her warm up, And then she goes right into squat and I have a warm up guide. And I don't think anything on that is more than 12 or 15 minutes. So you should, I mean, the warm up shouldn't take you very long. And if it is like, look at why it's taking so long. Like, are you foam rolling for 30 minutes and then like getting into static and then getting into dynamic and, you know, all that stuff. Um, I like to use kind of like a, I don't really like the word preventative, but like a prehab kind of exercise list and, you know, it might include like lateral step downs for like that glute med so that whenever you're down at the bottom of the squat, you know, and you're starting to come up, you're in that 80, eighty ductor whip position where your knees are kind of coming in. And then once you get to like halfway, then you can really use those glutes to kind of bring your knees back out and stand right. up. So I'll use like lateral step downs. Um, but the way I like to do warmups is almost so wad style where it's like I want to focus on good form but it might be like a 12 minute arm wrap just see how many rounds you can get through get some um, blood pumping and then also like be super efficient with it so gotcha and you don't feel like doing an arm wrap style is going to fatigue the muscles too much for the lift no um because you know even though it's an arm wrap it's still like kind of a go at your pace so you don't have to go in and try to hit like 30, 30 rounds in this little AMRAP, but just making sure that, you know, I might have the lateral step downs. I might have some bear crawls. I might have open books, things like that. So it's, while it's an AMRAP, it's more so just to make sure somebody's doing it efficiently instead of spending like an hour on warmups. So I, I haven't found that it wears my lifters out. Um, everyone that's use that style like that I've kind of put on that they all like it so yeah I, I was just clarifying because I've never thought yeah. to do it that way I yeah. the dynamic warm-ups absolutely but like to actually do it to time and when you said AMRAP I'm like my mind's like oh CrossFit <laughs> and right. I'm like yeah. that, that sounds like it'd be very exhausting but yeah a lot yeah. Of sense. yeah no I put it down like as a disclaimer like do not go crazy just you know the point isn't to jeopardize form or like wear yourself out it's more so just to warm up but doing it in an efficient manner where you're not like doing one movement and then foam rolling for five minutes or talking for five minutes and then doing another you know so it's like you get in and out of the warm-up gotcha yeah absolutely because um us lifters you know don't like to spend a lot of time doing the mobility and the the pre-lift things we just want to get to the barbell so um as far huh I said, I'm kind of guilty of that. Oh yeah, me too. Absolutely. Again, yeah. you know, we're not perfect either. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but coming off of like my very first, like pretty serious injury, um, happened last year, like severely strained my pectineus muscle in my left hip. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely take the warm up a little bit more seriously than I used to. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like having to work through like my very first injury that actually took me out of squatting for a while. Like I definitely 
I can sympathize with my clients a little bit more. Cause like, I do actually know that pain of not being able to do something that you want to do. And, you know, thinking back to like, we were talking about the mental recovery piece of it as well. Um, you know, just, I, I wasn't scared to get back under a barbell. I was getting back under a barbell when I shouldn't have been. <laughs> yeah. And probably honestly made the, the situation a little bit worse and probably prolonged my recovery because um, I wasn't doing it the smart way. Cause I was, when this happened, I was just starting a prep for a meet, which didn't end up happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it, it definitely made me put more of a priority on like properly warming up my body. Um, and then also focusing on the recovery, not just in the gym, but outside of the gym as well, which I think is a component that a lot of people don't take into consideration, like how much your lifestyle outside of the gym is going to impact what your body is capable of doing inside of the gym. Yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to be best friends because (laughs) that's stuff that I preach all the time too. Um, yeah. And like, I honestly feel like I could talk about that stuff for like three hours. You know, it's, I always say like your lifts are made more so about like what you do outside of the gym than what you're doing inside. If you're just fueling your body with junk food, fast food, and not sleeping, you're drinking alcohol, your stress is at a 10 all the time. Like, what are the chances that you're actually going to have a good lift? Like, no. And that's when injuries happen too, is Mm -hmm. because you know, your body's in this, like, not very recovered, not very repaired state. And then you go in and, you know, try to crush a lift anyway. And yeah. So that's, that's a big topic of like what I talk about with my clients first day. I'm like, this is what, you know, like these are important things and just know that if these aren't intact, you might feel more pain. Like it's, it's very possible. So. Absolutely. And, you know, part of, the coaching role, like we're not just coaching people in the gym, we're coaching people outside of the gym as well. And if all of those things are not falling in line, it's going to be so much harder for an athlete or even, you know, just someone recreationally training, right. Just to be healthy, to hit whatever goals they set for themselves. And one thing that I always preach is, you know, if you think of professional athletes where this is literally their job, like, they are hyper aware of what they're putting in their body. Like they prioritize the recovery process. They Mm -hmm. don't drink. They don't, you know, go out and do all these things right. That way they are able to perform at their best. Not saying that you're not able to live your life, right. Because you can be social. You can go out to eat once in a while and all those things, of course. Um, But there does need to be a huge focus put on that recovery piece and everything else that you're doing outside of the gym in order to hit your goals inside of the gym. Yeah. And just knowing that there's a trade-off, you know, Mm -hmm. um, if somebody wants to go, you know, go to a wedding and have some drinks, like by all means, go do it. Just know that the next day, whenever you go into train, you're, even if you're not like hungover, like you're still probably going to feel like crap under the barbell just because like your body just doesn't respond that well to the alcohol. And, you know, same thing with fast food, just know, like if anybody tracks, there, you know, like with a whoop or Fitbit or whatever, if you track like your heart rate, go eat like pizza or fast Mm -hmm. food or whatever, and see what happens to your heart rate. Yeah. And if it can happen, like if a spike in your resting heart rate can happen, think about everything else that's happening too, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yep. It's a, you definitely have to look at it from a holistic approach. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's funny because there's, like a common misconception out there that powerlifters are strength. I think powerlifters more so than Olympic lifters, but you know, they just eat junk food to get big and then pick up a barbell once or twice and then walk out of the gym. And some of them do, (laughs) you know, we've all seen some of them do. Um, but you know, the ones who are truly successful in the sport don't train that way and, you know, don't treat their body that way. Still putting in like good quality carbs and good quality, you know, nutrient dense foods in order to, you know, give yourself the most bang for your back inside of the weight room. So yep, for sure. Absolutely. Um, there's one more question that I wanted to ask you. So as far as like balancing out for people who are still, you know, training in the weight room and doing recovery, what does that balance look like? And I know this is going to be a little bit different from case for case to case, but Mm -hmm. as far as prioritizing the PT side of things or prioritizing the strength training side of things, 
what would you say is more important if there is one that is more important or what would that balance look like? I think it probably comes down to the lifter and what's most important, you know, I mean, you already kind of said like the case to case thing, but if someone is, I'm going to get so much flack for this from PTs everywhere, but it's fine. If someone is like three weeks, let's cause a fuss. It's fine. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, If someone's like three weeks out from a meet, I don't, I don't care. The athlete doesn't care. The coach doesn't care about making sure that they're good. You know, it's like, what can we do to almost slap a bandaid on this so we can get through the meet. And then after the meet's over, then we can focus on, you know, like actually recovering and healing and all that stuff. Um, So at that point, it's like, what's more important to the athlete? Is it competing or is it, you know, like getting out of the pain, Um, like, and finding like the root cause, you know, it's, I still try to find the root cause and say, Hey, like this is going on. And then just kind of leave it up to them what they want to do. If someone isn't doing anything for a competition or anything like that, then I personally think that you should have a split between PT and strength. You know, it's, it's something where it's like, okay, we can still do X, Y, Z. Let's just do X, Y, Z in a manner that allows your body to heal. So kind of going back to what I said earlier, you know, if someone has pain at the bottom of a squat in their back, do they need to go all the way down like astagrass or even hit parallel right now if they don't even have a competition on the horizon? Right. No. So what we do, we can do like pin squats where, you know, we bump them up like an inch above where they feel pain because usually it's pretty consistent. Bump them up an inch, whether it's the pins, whether it's box, whatever. And then you know, like we still get a lot of the strength work there and then we strip the bar a little bit and then we start working in that range as we're doing like X, Y, Z rehab wise to make sure that we're actually like causing the actual or fixing the actual issue that's causing all the pain in the first place. And so I think, you know, even just tying it all the way back to the beginning, PT and strength coaching can be like a super beautiful thing whenever it's done correctly. And whenever like, you know, it's, it's almost not a pissing contest between the PT and the strength coach, but when they can work together, then, I mean, it's just going to help the lifter not only like continue to get strong, but also do so in a way that's getting them out of pain. And so, you know, um, for example, I had my coach actually, um, he does like general strength training too. So like, um, just individuals that want to live healthier lives. And so, you know, he came to me and was like, Hey, this guy's having some knee, um, knee pain, especially when he's driving, you know, like what can we do? So between that, between lunges, between squats, you know, he is having this pain and it's not something that he needed to go all the way down for, you know, he didn't have to hit parallel. He just wanted to make sure that he was getting stronger. And so what we did was, you know, we kind of teased it out. It ended up being like his hips, you know, his hip was moving in a different manner than the other side, which was causing the knee to like kind of get pinched. And so we just worked on some of the hip stuff and then he would just go straight into squats while he was feeling good. Um, and so that's a way that you can just blend it, you know, it's, or instead of doing forward lunges, he just did like static split squats, we're still accomplishing like a very similar thing, but he wasn't in pain. So that's the biggest thing I feel like is, you know, just meeting the athlete where their goals are and then working with, you know, a strength coach on my side of things to make sure that, you know, we can get the athlete strong, but we can also get them out of pain. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to get maybe some of the PTs off your back, just to, to clarify, I think there's, like people interchange pain and injury mm-hmm. and they're not the same thing. So, you know, if I did have a, a client going into a meet and they were having knee pain three weeks out, you know, I think that was the example that you used in the beginning. If it's just uncomfortable and it hurts, but it's not an actual injury and it's not going to become something worse over the course of three weeks, like strength athletes or we know how to deal, like manage our bodies in uncomfortable positions. We literally do it every single day. Because let's be real, putting 400 pounds on your back is not comfortable. (laughs) Like, so the pain tolerance is probably a little bit higher. So, you know, if it's something that the athlete can manage and work through, 
you know, in the final weeks of that prep, then there's, there's really nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm not going to let somebody do something that I know that they are going to get an injury from, mm-hmm. but yeah. pain and discomfort and injury are not always interchangeable. Yeah. You nailed it. And I wasn't keeping track, nor was I really paying attention to it, but I would imagine knowing how I view things, I probably refer to it as pain more than injury throughout the entire podcast, because a lot of times like people do have pain, but it's not because like their tissue is torn or, you know, like their back's going to explode or anything like that. You know, it's just kind of, there's pain and, you know, that's part of life, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to minimize it. It's just to say, like, like you said, you know, tying it back in, like, there's a huge difference between pain and legit injury. You know, if somebody blew out their knee versus, oh, my knee hurts, like completely different scenario. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you had mentioned a warm-up guide that mm-hmm. you utilize. Is that something that like someone can go on your website and get, or is that something that you just utilize for your clients? Yeah. So it's on my Instagram and it's on my website. Um, I think it's for sure on my Instagram, but if if people want it, just email me, shoot me a message and I'll send it over. Gotcha. And I'll put your Instagram and your website in the notes of this podcast so people can just go right there and and find it. Yeah. But um, Caitlin, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us today. Super informational. And I, I know that the listeners got a lot out of it. I got a lot out of it. Um, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. It was, it was a blast. We'll and have to we, we definitely, yeah, we, I think we have um, topics for at least four more episodes <laughs> <laughs> for I the made, next year. Yeah. I made notes as we were talking, so we'll definitely have to uh, coordinate that. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully your listeners are cool with that and be like, you know, they're not like throwing metaphorical tomatoes or anything, but well, my, my comments on my episodes are open, so we'll find out. <laughs> there you go. Sweet. All right. All right. Thank you, girl. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I am providing you with free access to my most recent athlete's guide, three drills to improving your squat depth. Make sure to click the link in the notes of this podcast to download your copy today. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and then share this podcast on all of your social media platforms. And I will see you on the next episode of Raising the Bar.